You're listening to an ACA podcast. Welcome, everyone. My name is David, and I'd like to begin by acknowledging that we're gathering tonight on the unceded sovereign lands of the people of the Kulin Nation and pay my respects to their elders and ancestors, past and present, and to all First Nations people who are joining us today. Just a couple of quick pieces of housekeeping before we start. In the final gallery where we will arrive, Sydney McMahon's work uh, has been switched off for this evening's reading, just because of the um, sound. So just to let you know, also please leave your drinks here at the bar or somewhere in the foyer. Do not take them with you into the gallery. And if you require any assistance on the way through as we promenade, please find ACCA's visitor experience team members who can assist you. And we will be promenading through the galleries, so feel free to don a mask if you feel more comfortable doing that. Uh, we will try to maintain social distancing as much as we can. Thank you very much. I brought Beach in Jar, circa 1998, by Alice Prouse, age three. This is a dress from a Bhutto performance called Mourning My Mother. I've brought a bowl of hand-dyed yarn. A Polly Pocket nurse's outfit uh, given to me by Spencer Lai. I brought the Inferno card from the Carnival at the End of the World tarot deck. Um, I bought this frog over 10 years ago as a gift for emergencies, but I keep forgetting to give it away, so it's mine now, I guess. Uh, I bought a wooden heart that um, plays tricks. And I brought a red uh, elastic exercise band. I brought some definitions from the Oxford English Dictionary, overlapping to coil, fold, wrap, a garment or anything supple, magisterial from magistry, a product or result of alchemical transmutation, obsolete. I brought a floral hammer that has three tiny screwdrivers inside. I brought a hand sanitizer. mise-en-scene, instruction, are you ready for an arts-led recovery? Yeah. <laughs> Great, watch this space. Checklist, am I open to the magisterial overlapping of a series of works that attract and repel, pull and push? 
Am I equal to a misguided tour of an inhospitable exhibition with an indecipherable hold us all at arts length name? Yes? Yes. yes. Then prepare to approach an expanded field. Prepare to go beyond. Beyond what? Beyond who, beyond why, beyond how. But how? How to move beyond descriptive or reactive, pictorial, effective, ekphrastic. How to see pungents. How to read tufts. Might you list one, blue metal gurney for the carriage of sagging things. Two, shapeless blobbery, muck brown, fecal. Three, machine vessel probe, wand on grit, on plate, on floor. No. See what you're missing. Try prepositional gazing, up, over, under the art, in and around, wire coil that is not coil, chain that is not chain, chainery that is not chainery, but artful chicanery near a garden shedding, filmically draped plastic tent, thingo, rhomboidishly dodecahedronated, whose geometry may elude you. Don't miss it. It's a rectangle, it has a triangle on top, it has struts. Instruction. Stay back. Touch nothing. Inhale. Essence of artfulness in crumblesome bales. Will you scent them? Dry chaff, straw, sticks, leaves, and downbreaking leaf mound. Avoid naming words. String, sack, bag. Avoid color commentary. Fluoro, green, blue, pink. No. No art speak, olfactuate, nose into each room, snuffle rank pockets of air, sniff slumpings between the fibrous, the littered and the scraping and the piling and the prone. Shall we? Yes. Proceed with caution, beware art lovers, maintain equidistance for personal space out, issue eye contact. Do not say, hello. Do not say, what do you make of all this then? Do not say, where is the art? Show me the art. Pause. Follow. Attend. Augenblick. Here is a grandmother's lace curtain, the eyelid entrance to the sclera of the eye, the membrane that contains all. So, behind the eyelid, the eyeball, behind the lens, the vitreous humor, and within the sack of viscous fluid, the strings of the eyes reach back into the brain and create the image of a mimosa that can be a flower or a drink or the space of the skull. Now, with your eyes half closed, imagine this. At the top of our occipital cavity, there's an eye that looks down through the center of our brains, lights up the bronchi, the trachea, the lungs, the esophagus and the gut, the liver and the heart, 
the warm heart, the beating of the warm heart that connects to the paraphernalia of the genitalia, and the glance of that eye is the flash of an x-ray, an instant display of intestinal bacteria in latex and nail varnish, lace and coral, a blue egg that may contain a bird of paradise or a thousand baby spiders or the sea worm that turns in the flesh of the fish that rests on the rice that we put in our mouths when we eat the restaurant sushi. These cysts need lancing. A shiny brown stain in spilled varnish, the sap of dragon blood trees, stains the lace and sustains the coral on the flayed skin that hangs on the wall where the metal ring is rusting and the cataracts of memory drop shadows across my vision. But picture this. I'm eight years old in my uncle's butcher shop. On the cutting bench, I play marbles with sheep's eyes, pig's eyes, with a glint of golden light on the pig's eyelashes closed on empty sockets. Et j'ai rêvé que je devais faire un exposé sur les disques durs et je me suis réveillé. Et en fait, c'était pas un rêve. I dreamed I had to give a talk about hard drives and I woke up to discarded mummy linen, a body wrap, larval, written on the skin of the blood pudding, le boudon blanc, curled in the corner. Now, look at this. Her avatar on the wall of the skull at the forehead, hair red, closed eyelids. What is seen on the back of the screen? The backside of the closed eyelid, Margot's eyelash as a murmuration of starlings, captured in an instant, an analog image on a cotton veil nailed to a ginkgo tree. In the garden with the child Zoe, moments of innocence and awakening, a grandmother's aged hand digs a needle into a bowl of beads, strings teardrops into crystal light. Bearded, beaded teardrops cascade over a glass phallus. A pair of weighted eggs designed to rock inside fleshy membrane, mucoid and weeping. The pumping of veins, systolic, diastolic, orgasmic. Facts about a bleeding tree discovered in China the strangest tree in the world, the rough bark of Taxus baccata, a yew tree in a Celtic graveyard has been bleeding for 700 years. A warning issued for a heavy rain emergency. Red pill, blue pill, green poppy heads, a conference of the birds, the blink of an eye, the blink of an eye, the blink of an eye, the blink of an eye. I wrote on a post-it that seed beads seemed like a dream of girlhood. I feel carried back into childhood, perhaps, in the same way that my last relationship felt like regaining everything that I lost as I grew up, picking costumes for parties, making collages together and talking for hours at night, folded into pink sheets, kisses interrupted by Italian greyhounds. I don't know if straight people feel this way when they fall in love, as if the playfulness of it is a means of travelling backward into time. I am thinking, too, of Polly Pocket in her nurse's uniform, of this proximity between innocence and sex. I am trying to figure out a way that words might operate like these clusters of tiny beads, strung like lampshades, alongside metal chains, ribbons, cartoonish hearts. I've never been able to separate admiration from envy. If I desire somebody or something, I want to be close enough to be them. I can't touch these dripping beads, can't possess them, and so I am trying to trace them with words to let language cascade, sparkling and dwindling and pooling on the floor, as another means of lingering, leering. 
I suppose that love, seen from outside, is pearlescent and pink, obscured by a lace curtain, all mystery and pleasure. It is like childhood, a private world, but there's a terror to the delicacy. I can't look at a glass dildo without thinking of it clattering on the floor, shattering into something that might sever an artery. I remember discussing sex toys made of rose quartz with a stranger last year, and that what another person saw as self-love seemed to me something more dangerous, like a forbidden form of witchcraft. It seems disingenuous or just impossible to cast a love spell and think only of yourself. I typed to a friend as I walked here last Tuesday that I wished I didn't need to be loved, that it felt like the most decadent, unreasonable desire. I kept sleeping with strangers this summer and it felt like a glamorous form of grieving. I felt as I walked into this room for the first time that there was a sort of rotting beauty to it. I don't like to be reminded that I have a body. If I leave this writing rough, perhaps I'm echoing the uneven edges, the patchwork quality of it all, or perhaps I'm just afraid of rusted circles, of stretched stockings, of whatever it is that I'm writing, which feels too personal or perhaps too clumsy, an entire self in progress. I felt that I couldn't get close enough while still holding my laptop, typing. I was frustrated by my distance, even as I wrote in this room. I suppose that this is the way that sex feels too sometimes, like an urgent need to close space. This whole exhibition is about negotiating repulsion, says Peter, and I agree. I'm not repulsed though, I'm just trying to place myself. If we're inside an eye, these trailing beads are nerves and veins. It's as bloody inside the head as inside the body, and the tears we cry are sex toys, hand sanitizer, and heart emojis. As I write this, I keep wondering what I'll wear. I think at first that I must dress like childhood, that I must wear a large dress of pink chiffon. I don't own a dress like that. I don't have the body of a doll. I am fleshy, bulbous, and the tension between my body and the fabric might seem a threat. I start wondering if I could embroider some words onto a dress, if I could wear my own essay, but I don't think I have the time. If I write to keep my life at a safe distance, what would it mean to inhabit my own poem? I am trying still to figure out a way in which I might get closer, might be inside something, touching rather than observing. I want to pay so much attention to something else, perhaps, that it becomes a form of self-effacement. I want to care so much that I forget that I exist, forget all my preferences. It's felt when I've been lost like this, in sex or in love, devotional. I invited my friends to this reading, and then I uninvited some of them. It's easier when the audience doesn't know my ex-girlfriend's name. It's easier when the details are elided, when a room is a small cell with white walls, a space within which I control the detritus, abstract it, assemble something new. I want to be stripped of context. I suppose that this, too, is a reason to sleep with strangers. It's an inadequate word, stranger. Once I've met a person, I always want to learn more about them, to understand them, even if I don't want to date them. I want the textures of other people's lives layered into my own. I want 24-hour love stories with all their attendant drama. I'm obsessed with details, and I can't see those from far away. I am telling you so much, and I'm embarrassed about most of it. I think of fresh blood changing color when exposed to air and of the deep magenta of blood clots, of illuminated beads dripping. I wonder if I fetishize transparency, the transformation of the intimate into art. I fear the audience, though, and all the opinions that I might project. I fear the points at which my vulnerabilities intersect with gossip. I'm not negotiating repulsion, really. I'm negotiating distance. There's a comfort to marking edges with decorative curtains, with plastic and lace. Like a wedding dress, the fabric marks a threshold. I never played at being a bride, though I kissed my classmates sometimes. We didn't need an excuse because we were seven. I wonder what might have happened if we'd kept kissing as we'd grown older, if that string of desire might have been pushed to breaking point, beads spilt across the floor. I wonder if being queer would feel less innocent, if being loved by another woman would be a more difficult kind of bliss. I can't write an essay that operates as a love spell, and yet I'm always trying. I just want to draw the audience closer. 
I'm the one that's spellbound, though, caught in a tangle of beads and blood, besotted by lace and eyelashes, by all the complicated surfaces. I'm still feeling it for Sam Peterson after Sam Peterson. Starting doesn't always mean begin a beginning because Sam Peterson is still feeling it. Sorry, I mean Peterson's installations are called I'm Still Feeling It and we must listen slash feel slash respect this statement as it's occurred prior to this moment. This is not a request. This is a demand. This is all that I'll ask from you, aside from, oh, sorry, I mean, I guess I'm also requesting your attention. Like, now I'm assuming I have the privilege of an audience and a free association. But as Tiju Cole necessarily reminds me, free association is not free. This is all at a cost, and who is going to pay for it? The effect, the affect of Sam's force prior to the plasticine being touched is now within the plasticine, but the plastic coating um, in these sculptures was originally demanded for protection slash defence slash, slash shield. The institution wanted to be protected, yet the visceral plasticine figures are retorting, and even if you can't yet feel it, our bodies are also responding. But like, sorry, this is on the condition that they don't stain, tinge, leave a mark, a trace, DNA, I mean, sorry. I, I mean to question rather than like answer how this is possible, as if repainting a wall eradicates existences slash beings slash matters of what there was before, especially if the pigments comma binders, comma liquids, and comma additives, dash flows into white to imply that these walls are garden fresh, as if it was ever pure, uncontaminated, unsullied, unadulterated. And sorry, <laughs> I'm repeating myself when I state that I also have an obsession with interiors and like attempts to forge openings and to merge letters as a means of release make me slowly, slowly feel the longing, the fractures and the of all of it. And sorry, don't mistake these words as instruction. Like, I mean, please try not to confuse the demands slash commands slash orders of the institution as an act of bodily intuition. Even though when we write down or, sp or speak in this speech, in this violent language I'm speaking, an institution slash intuition, both words, sorry, I mean actualities, realities, contain the same letters in the English alphabet. And sorry, I'm repeating myself again when I now like state that Inga Christensen's fourth sequence in her book Alphabet simultaneously um, summarizes and complicates it all for me. She writes, um, not that, but she does write this. Doves exist, dreamers and dolls, killers exist, and doves and doves, haze, dioxin, and days. Days exist, days and death, and poems exist. Poems, days, death. Inga Christensen also dedicated a whole book exploring it. It's called it, but it's not about Peterson's it. This it is different. Nothing is ever the same slash identical slash equivalent. 
I take, I have taken, I took note, I took lots of notes, I took and because of this I lost, I lost my notebook, sorry. Sam Peterson has called a rant of hers, I am not a good girl. And while I'm here presenting, this is not a present. I am not a gift. And due to institutional commitments, you, like me, will all leave with something more, yet also less in our plastic coated reality. And sorry, not sorry, because I am also not a good girl, and I'm still feeling it. Still, like putty made from calcium, petroleum, jelly, and aliphatic acids, it's skin-like, supposedly. In my head, sitting in the black, folding chair alone in this gallery, I wonder if I've made the right decision. Sterile walls surround me as I sit and write about this work. I consider the hundreds of footsteps that have walked on this floor like a membrane of invisible imprints as I get off my seat, slide down to the ground and sit cross-legged. It takes guts to leave the centre of the gallery floor empty and do the opposite thing to standing out, hiding. The very guts that have pressed and contorted inside and around in numerous spaces, like this one. The fingerprint-stained plasticine no longer seems inanimate. In my mind, it's you. You lie hiding between the lips of the wall, stretched and moulded. You fill the mouth, but plastic separates you from teeth and tongue, a plastic envelope, a barrier between any possible embrace. If it was me lying there, I would have preferred a bit of glitz. I would have gone with aluminium foil, I, I think. Splayed, flesh, stretched. I know it's presumptuous, but I feel like we're friends. Maybe it's because you're such a good listener. But I realise I've been staring at only one part of you and there's so many other yous. I feel shy to move from this point. It's become familiar. Hello, you. Hello. 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 Oh, you in the corner, hello. So what does it feel like with the walls pressing on you? Safe? But maybe safety can also be a protracted sort of pain. In the space that you do occupy here, it's not fully yours. See, just up there. There's a security camera staring down at us. Even at rest, you're under observation.
I am in the gallery floor where artist Sidney McMahon has placed an array of small black fans to elevate enormous drapes of dark fabric changed to the ground and hung from the ceiling, inflating them with air like wasted lungs. Their movement strikes me as a beautified, torture scene in a horror film, borrowed from a DVD stocked in a video store on the verge of collapse, where customers waste their breath to soften the misery of their interchangeable tragedies. This may sound like I am in a negative mood, but like most things in the world, these fans, once isolated from the artist's spectacular installation, look like every fan you have never bothered to remember. Same blade, same velocity, same function. These fans are black, lending themselves to a bad pun on goth metal, which I do not care for because puns are for dorks with low thresholds of arousal. As time goes by, I begin to recall memories about ventilators, not that I harbor an obsession with or even care much for cooling systems, but I need to get some content going for this text, which is part of a workshop. I will say, however, before I proceed, and this is something that I learned in the coast of Mexico, in Baja California Sur, same place where my father taught me to eat mangoes with their skin on like an apple. And my uncle, the one who looks the most like my dad, said, take it or leave it, that one must drink hot 
beverages in a hot day to stay cool, rather than cold ones, which make you feel hotter. Therefore, anyone who eats ice cream in summer is doing it wrong. In other words, you're all a bunch of fucking losers. This is also why I do not use a fan in summer. I prefer to just deal with it. Then again, this comes from the same family that claims to have shot a snake, only to see the snake catch a bullet with its teeth and shoot it back at the shooter with the speed of a gun. So, I don't know. Maybe ice cream does make your body cool in summer. One hot day, I was sitting alone in a banh mi place next to a whitewashed taco joint, and I was sitting underneath a fan on the roof, feeling the pointless circulation of warm air. The crispy pork was good, much better than the mediocre pulled pork next door. Now, I feel strongly compelled to remark, in brackets, that once I tasted shit by accident, literary embellishment or curiosity, and it was much better than the vapid tacos next door. Do not judge me. When I was chewing on my pan mi with my very clean mouth that I wash and floss every day, I began to listen to customers order at the counter when I noticed something strange. As it is customary, they always ask, do you want chili? While assembling a pan mi, the reason they ask this question, of course, as we all know, is because Anglos have a very soft stomach, and in my opinion, at least, this is a reflection of their moral corruption. But what the fuck do I know? I'm only a Catholic in a world of Protestants. But I do know, with complete certainty, that I have never met dogs as weak as the ones kept in the inner cities of this country. When I was a child, we had to beware of leaving the door open because the dog will escape and join the neighborhood gang of stray dogs to never return home. What the fuck do you do to your dogs to make them so fucking codependent? That you cannot even hang out on a weekday without arranging a babysitter. Apologies to all the dog owners in the room. Jesus fucking Christ, it stresses me out so much. Like, your dog needs discipline. You're ruining their lives. Anyway, I suddenly realize this same God-hating and dog-pampering demographic responds to this question with overt enthusiasm. Oh yes, please. Like, it's just red chili. No one likes it that much. I saw some at Coles earlier on aisle four above the broccoli and the zucchini next to the chives. Last time I checked, there was no scarcity of any kind whatsoever. Thank you. to write about gardens, boundaries, fences, and walls that can be scaled, gates that can be unlocked, a third nature, Eden, or paradise on earth, the ready-made ruins of landscape follies, and a fictional farm like the MGM studio lot for Wizard of Oz, Kansas, or Wonderland. Planting real, natural, dead, or dying artifacts in the imaginary garden of the gallery, a shrine to bygone machinery, a deformed hay rake and pitchfork without a handle plunged into two inches of dirt stacked on top of a tarp, ant mounds made by human hands next to a backpack irrigation system to paint the roses red. As the Disney card soldiers sing, 
painting the roses red and many, and many a tear we shed because we know they'll cease to grow. In fact, they'll soon be dead, and yet we go ahead. Why gardens and not the agricultural revolution that paved the way for the industrial one? Something about resources, production and regeneration? Because caring for country and the custodianship of nature, the kinship of all things, existed well before both the farm and the garden. The garden is a circular procession of ordered arrangements, an aesthetic, not a practical construction. Kombucha-esque organic cultures as a membrane affixed to the wall as neatly contained as a painting is much more the stuff of gardens. Whole foods gentrification for new ages and their cashed up cries for Mother Earth. The garden is more ambiguously crafted and natural than Haraway's technoscience dualisms. It unsettles that lingering nature-culture divide, creating cultures that produce and regulate nature. But the gallery garden will be dismantled, deinstalled. It'll cease to grow and soon be dead. We've just painted the roses red. I wanted to write about gardens, but your garden isn't locked in monolithic space and neatly programmed time. It isn't trapped under fluorescent gallery lights and locked in opening hours. There's a can of passiona on top of a rock instead of an ox heart, because it's lucky. It sees the sun rise and set, and your shrine is to Rocky Erickson, where creation was created for us too, for you. And it feels like psychosis before ECT, an acid casualty trying to integrate history with a past that cannot be meaningfully subsumed, objects to make sense and to make conclusions, the illusion of wholeness with nothing but fragments in our sweaty palms like children at show and tell, History TV glued to mood boards. Rocky Electro convulsively wiping out history with an operation on human memory to lock him in time. Locked in with Rocky and you, like the pe little pebbles in the mortar between the stones. Carved out of space and created out of time. Suspended in that deranged interval of enchanted sleep in the calm of your arms. Something a poet would write about, a garden or madness. Existence is an enclosure locked in time more than space, and this exhibition ends on the 14th of March. She says she's a gardener, a nurturer, but skip bins will be filled by the magistrates of the great indoors, extraction without regeneration. The garden is a man-made paradise, exemplified by the Persian proverb, you don't have to die to go to paradise, provided you have a garden. I wanted to write about gardens, but all I can write about is you. The best line in the garden of forking paths is all that really happens, happens to me. You drive me home in silence because it's the hardest part of the day, leaving our garden. Instruction. Stay. Swivel. Have you ever spent so much time on one arting? Gallery fatigue. Restore yourself by a thing that clangs near a thing that leans above a vessel that can't hold, beside another that can't pour, around a hose that won't pipe and a fork that won't dig. Piggyback piggy bags. Melts of rockery like ancient... Like ancient... No, uh, no similes. Something geologic, that's a word I won't remember until later on tonight, ends in might, uh, tight, or light. No research, no Googling. Instruction. Avert your eyes from form to line. Poles on crude pulp, growth spurt, upstarting, legible ambition, how they lunge for the roof. Applaud bamboo. It's sustainability, it's gregarious and spontaneous flowering, it's speed. How many other plants can you name that can actually run? Instruction, hold the thought. Do not answer. Where do you think you are? This is no interactive community participatory art. This is no edifying artifying. This is art artistic. Stromatolite, world's 
oldest land life form. Applaud growth, applaud precarity, applaud endurance. Applaud pebbling, fronds, twigs that are unflowers, hessian saccharine, and a giant ugly, nope, no judgment. Trundling deformities of glass, hacked lengths of branches, stubs of things, and the broken. Instruction, yield. Yield to the spillage of wordage. Gush, gush wordage over artage. Metal frame to winnow, balsa barricade to enclose, clay flutes spattering, recoil from a blankety untouchable by felting bugger rug, all upturned corner and jaunty green with pale lime fringe. Seagrass ropes, all sea sluggish, pentagram of stone and other trigonometries, corner of a grey snug, brick litter of misfirings, blue-black pointlessness, and a dish, and a bucket, and a bowl, and an unfillable vat, and an unpunchable bag, and disentanglable vines, and yellow enamel whirlies on stalky struts. If only, if only, consult your smartphone, Remember your emptied wine glass, never quite artful enough. Hark. Harking. Can you hear? Can you hear? Listen. I don't think rest is possible for us, not until the exhibition is over. Anyway, just one more week to go. Hang in there, everyone. It's been a long time since we first met. I think I will miss you all. It will be strange to one day not wake up next to you. I don't know any other existence. Don't be overly sentimental. People will write about us and we will continue to exist in their imagination. This isn't goodbye and there's always social media. We will continue to be friends, I'm sure of it. True, but we won't be ever together again in our current configuration. This set of circumstances won't ever happen again. It'll be harder to care once we are apart. Who writes letters these days? That makes this pretty special, don't you think? I wonder where we will go next. I have an international flight to look forward to. I wonder what Paris will be like now. I wonder how Mimosa has been since I've been gone. It's so strange to think I travelled while she could not. I wonder if she will recognise me after this time. I know I've changed. I've changed so much in the last few months. I don't know if I recognise myself anymore. I'm not sure what will happen to me next. I hope they keep all my parts together though. I miss Sam. We, all have, we always have so much fun together. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. What do you think the curators brought us together like this? Sometimes I wonder what the meaning of it all is. Why us? Why now? If I think about this too much, I get into an existential slump. Best to not overthink it, I think. I think the curators brought us together inside these white walls because they had something to say, a feeling to convey, and we are the language through which this is expressed. Perhaps that is our purpose. Does anyone else still not understand what overlapping magisteria means? Honestly, it's March and I still don't understand it. I have an impression of what it means, like a, a gap feeling. But if you asked me to, des to describe it in words, I wouldn't be able to. I would only be able to gesture towards it. Well, it's a good thing where art works then and don't have to speak in words. What will you miss about your time here? I once had a visitor spend 45 minutes with me, just sitting next to me. 
We didn't talk to each other, but I felt so at peace. I like those quiet, unexpected interactions. Most people walk through looking so uncomfortable, performing even. Sometimes it feels like we are the ones watching them, not the other way around. Oh, I definitely feel that. My favorite part of my job, if you can call this my job, is looking at people looking at me, the gaze on the gaze. It's fun to see how people's reactions differ. Some people come up very close to me. Some people keep their distance. I think visitors are a bit intimidated by me, by how much room I occupy. People treat me with such gentleness, with such care, as if I'm something fragile. It's an odd feeling because I'm stronger than I look. Do you want them to touch you? I'm not sure. Sometimes I think I feel the distance and I don't know how to overcome that. I don't think I'm particularly special or so special that I should be revered in this way. I'm part of everyone's lives. Visitors always touch me. Something about the pink colours and the hanging beads, like pieces of jewellery shining brightly. They can't help themselves. People don't know how to treat me. I feel caught in between spaces. I think the high ceiling makes me seem bigger than I am. Maybe that is a contributing factor? Yes, the ceiling does make a difference, doesn't it? Like an optical illusion playing with our sense of self-worth, a perception of self. I am glad for the space I am in. I don't feel compressed, but I don't feel stretched either. I just feel like me, like I can grow. I'm glad for that. You know what's strange? I've spoken to you for months, but I have never seen you. I have never seen you, or you, or you either. But I know you so vividly, I can recognize your voice and impressions from a distance away. Yeah, it's weird. You're some of my closest friends. But I can't even visualize what you look like. I can hear you, and you, but I never see you. I wonder if things will be different if we met each other someplace else. Will we even recognize each other then? I can't wait to tell my friends in Paris about you. They think it's such an adventure, me coming to Australia. They asked me to bring back some souvenirs. In another time, we could have maybe traveled together, continued our journey together in different places. That would have been nice. I can't think of the future now. Too much is unknown. But we have this time now. We have now. The future arrives when it's ready. Yes. But I think you can also imagine what future you want. It is a destiny that is manifested through potential dreaming. It's a work in progress. Oh, I see people entering now. It's 11 a.m. Have a good day, everyone. Are we all still on for karaoke tonight? Oh yes, it was so much fun last time. Hopefully my boys won't be gone like last time. Overlapping writing, overlapping uncertainties, overlapping vulnerabilities, bodies, histories, day jobs, night terrors. Enter, wearing the wrong glasses, very nervous. Maybe I make the first move, deeply afraid of the mechanics. I'd like to notice the ways in which we each position our hands as we walk through the exhibition. I would like to know also of how these artworks might use their hands if they had hands Though perhaps it's obvious, at least where the charcoal draws on walls and the plasticine presses into the gaps in the building. Who is the eye? I don't know which of us wrote that, any of that. I could find out if I wanted to. The computer remembers. Air, sound, rhythm, touch, gesture, body, institution, inner monologue, materials, nomenclature, how and where, might writing overlap with art? One writing overlap with another and with many? And why is this question so awkward? And what makes a collective? And what does a collective make? Who gets invited? Who do we bring? What do we bring? 
what we feel safe to bring, how will we make fools of ourselves together in the not knowing, in the negation of certain paths, the well-worn trails of cool propriety that art with a capital A seems to find most comfortable? If not this, then what? If not now, then when? These are questions of power and voice and desire and authority and listening and making space, making spaces inside and outside and together and having to fit things in with 500 browser tabs open and a casual teaching gig if you are lucky, timetable confirmed the week before if you are lucky, questions of the smooth and the jagged, the critical and the naive, professional and amateur, finished and unfinished, smart and stupid, daggy and cool, mosaic forms, fractals, questions of suspension. In thy uterine blood, filaments and flesh, somewhere to swim before the flood. I need to laugh a lot more. It's funny, isn't it? Image in my head of telling a joke in Auslan. Doesn't everything have materiality? Or rather, everything that is immaterial can still be expressed through proximity to materiality. I'm besotted with the hanging beads. I don't usually feel self-conscious about my writing, even when it's terrible, but I feel self-conscious about people seeing me write as I'm doing it. I wanted to put the post-its in the gallery. Me too. We're in the middle of something. It was far too soon to share this with you. We don't even know what this is yet. But Lucinda, who knows something because she began this program and has tried it twice already, said it's always like this and that it's deliberate the too soonness, the awkwardness, this temporary housing. Besides, this time next week, it'll be too late. All of Sophia's voices will be gone. The awkwardly shaped cube will be scrubbed white again or they'll be lingering as ghosts. We improvise, as Tina says, we make up our own instructions, we blunder and we ask each other, am I crazy? We don't have enough time, we have to rush. Instant overlapping! We are hungry and tired. I, for one, think far too much about the dynamics of it all, or just enough. I make a cake, then Peter makes a cake. <laughs> Thanks to Aka, to Bianca, Miriam and Max and all of the team for inviting us to carefully run amok here in the gallery and for continuing to develop this partnership with RMIT Nonfiction Lab, where Lucinda and I are based, and Peter, our day jobs, and for providing a space to continue to develop this conversation around differing possible relationships between art and writing with this program in its third year now of writing in the expanded field. Thanks to the artists, Mimosa, Sam, Robert, Sydney, and Isadora, with whose work we've been writing with and alongside, Thanks from me to all of the writers, Anna, Audrey, Autumn, Kate, Alyssa, who couldn't be here tonight, Des, Diego, Peter, Sophia, and our wonderful tour guide tonight, Tina, for trusting and saying yes and going out on your variously improvised non-fictional limbs. Thanks to Lonnie, our editor at All Round Sounding Board and video documenter, to Rowan, who is making the overlapping platform site for us, and one more time to Bianca for making this whole event tonight possible amidst the uncertainties of the pandemic. And finally, thanks to all of you for meeting us here tonight, for listening and following along. And now I think we have a few minutes and a beautiful sound system for any of you if you would like to um, ask any questions of us or respond in any way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, um, I think it's worth saying a few things because, and I'll kick it off because I've done it before, but I just want to say that was fantastic. I really, really loved all your pieces and um, yeah, it always feels too soon and then it's not. It was great. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. It was really, really good. Thank you. Thanks.
yip, 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 yip. <laughs> Oh, sure. What, what do you want to know? What do you want to know? Yeah. No, just one big reflection from everyone. I didn't really know what I was writing until this week. <laughs> um, but I think tonight that the five people reading, um, it's just a snippet, I think, of the conversation. And I want to spend some time over the next few weeks kind of fleshing it out so I don't have to think about a six-minute time limit and seeing where it goes. I'll say something arty. I already said what I said in that room over there, and I can't think of anything more to say. So, there you go. Um, I've had a really good time so far, but I do feel like I'm right in the middle of it and not really sure. But I think, for me, a big part of it is actually hearing how what I'm doing is rubbing up against, I suppose, what everyone else is doing. And so I, I'm hoping that the next part of the work will be about how these pieces uh, engage with or are con contradictory of or are in dialogue of one, with one another. And I'm really loving it. Uh, I, I wrote mine very quickly with all, all of the obligations and commitments that kind of David touched on put on a romantic record and got amongst it. Um, and I guess I'll make it better before the publication at the end of March. Um, it took me a few minutes to work out what the question actually was, because I was in an area where it was kind of hard to hear it. Um, but in terms of reflections on the process, I found, um, because we spent the first few weeks doing a lot of collaborative writing, and then we only started working on these pieces really last week, um, which I thought was really great because it meant we'd had so many conversations that kind of filtered through in a more abstract way, and so many kind of links that were drawn together um, but then that was kind of balanced with the sort of solitary time spent with the artwork itself. I guess I just feel really grateful um, because writing is often a solitary act and um, I was so grateful to share a space with Kate and to have conversations but to also meet new people but also to connect with the person behind the words of who I've read before and I think that um, giving our, having our bodies physically in the space together um, and ref reflecting um, and even though sometimes I was pessimistic and complaining um, I was, I'm also loving it <laughs> um, as Peter says um, and yeah, thank you um, I've really enjoyed the process and uh Connecting, I think, has been really uh, a beautiful thing in, a, in coming out of COVID and lockdown where so much of my writing was thinking through things that were very solitary. So, yeah, it's been a really beautiful thing to take myself out of, um, yeah, my own head in that way. So, um, yeah, and the importance... My, and one observation, the importance of food. Um, last week we had food quite a lot of, like a full table of food and I think that really helped in in that connection um, so that was a really beautiful thing to see yeah um, well my piece I thought it was very funny but I didn't hear anyone laughing so <laughs> <laughs> so maybe I missed the mark I don't know um, I think I need more catering like more food on the table to write better as well. <laughs> just, yeah. um, well, I suppose writing in the expanded field for me um, was moving through words into sounds. <laughs> um, and as a vocalist, this program with all these wonderful writers has kind of given me permission to think about how voice in the expanded field through letters, through sounds, through connection can generate language that isn't necessarily located in the uh, logical isolation of words. So thanks to all you guys. <laughs>
And Alyssa, as I said, uh, our tenth person is not here tonight because she's not well. Um, that was great. Thank you, Lucinda. Yes. Uh, so d d d does anybody want to, to add anything before we go and have a drink? Thank you so much for coming, everybody. It was really, really great to, to see the gallery full. Um, we just wanted to make sure that we'd thank David because David thanked uh, everybody else, but David did such a great job of um, shepherding us through all of this. Oh, and I should also say um, that we, um, so the process from here, uh, we have another um, few weeks together through March and April, um, and we are going to start work on on editing, further developing and then editing these pieces and uh, working out how we're going to put them together. And so we will be having a launch of the digital publication, which will happen sometime in May. And um, so that would be great. We'll, we'll let you know when that's on. And um, uh, that would be great to, to see you there and to, um, uh, for us to be able to show you where we end up after all this. Thanks a lot. <laughs>